Hey guys, it's Matt here, and I got a story for you. When I was a kid, I was playing hockey, and oh man, there was this one year, this one team, we could not beat these guys. They were all over us. There were competitive games, though. They were tight, but we just could not beat them. And I remember the last game of the year, it was up against this team, and we were gearing up. We were like, we have to get these guys. When we won that last game, it was so satisfying because we finally got the victory over the team that had dummied us, that had dominated us for so long. I think this is the same thing with sexual brokenness, with sexual sin, where there's been brokenness in our lives and the enemy has come and taken ground and he's dominated us for so long, but we get to make a difference. We get to be part of a message and a a mission of freedom. It is such a cool opportunity. So I want to invite you, men and women of any age, to be part of the Action Squad. The Action Squad is something that we're putting together right now. We're looking for 100 people to be on the Action Squad. There's going to be some competitive nature to it. There's prizes. And we're going to work together to help produce a documentary that is literally going to change the world. We're featuring stories of sexual brokenness, of people who have been restored and redeemed, reconciled to God and to people in their their lives. And we're going to feature these stories in this world-class documentary that will be a resource for churches to host movie nights, for small small groups to watch together, for families to watch and be inspired by. And it's going to highlight the problem in the church, but also show the, the power of God that is at work when we bring this stuff to light. And so if you want to be part of the Action Squad and help us put this documentary together, I would love for you to go to restoredministries.ca slash Action Squad. You can watch a 10-minute video there that I put together on what it can look like for you to join us in this mission and be part of putting this documentary together. So restoredministries.ca slash Action Squad. Hope to see you there. Welcome to the Pure Victory Podcast, full of hot tips to help you win at sex, conquer porn, and find purpose in staying free forever. Here are your hosts, Matt Klein and Braden Hafner. Welcome back to another Pure Victory Podcast episode. Matt here with Braden, and we got a special guest today. I'm excited for this episode. We've been planning to meet with Dr. Kelly Palfi for a little bit. She's a female who is an expert on male sexual abuse recovery. Thanks for coming. My pleasure. Happy to be here. Yeah, thank you. So there's a huge relation between addiction, um, addiction to anything really, but addiction to pornography and sexual abuse. But a lot of people in our experience, we find out they don't really realize the extent of the trauma that they carry, right, from from abuse. So can you just start by maybe explaining what is sexual abuse so that people can know if they do have that trauma in their life? Sure, and that's a great question, Matt. It's often misunderstood by boys and men, right? Because sometimes, for example, the way their body responds, they think that they're willing participants. But by definition, like children under the age of in Canada, it's 16, cannot consent to sexual activity. So sexual abuse is basically any sexual touching, it can be fondling, it can be exposure to genitals, exposure to graphic material. By, by definition, sexual assault means a contact offense, meaning they actually touched the victim or forced the victim to touch them in a sexual manner. So it's interesting, the definition though, because consent is very relevant. Mm-hmm. Children who are not old enough are not mentally capable of consenting to sexual abuse. So there's different ages of differences to be considered. If, if a child is under the age of 14, for example, they cannot consent to sexual activity with someone who is more than five years older than them. Right. Children under the age of 14 cannot consent to sexual activity with anyone who's more than a year difference in age from them. Hmm. And of course, you have to consider if the person is a person in a position of authority. Children, by definition, right. can never consent to um, sexual activity with someone in a position of authority. So kind of a broad definition, but... 
<laughs> yeah. Mm. Do you find that people have trauma from even experiences where maybe somebody exposed themselves to them and there wasn't contact, but maybe they were exposed to things as a child? Absolutely. And and a lot of times that is part of the grooming process is, you know, an exposure to graphic material, right? Oftentimes, offenders will treat victims as if they are older than they are. Uh, they do this by introducing them to graphic material sometimes. If by chance that phase gets interrupted, oftentimes the damage comes later in life when they recognize what was actually taking place. Hmm. So when they come to be, you know, teenagers or adults and they realize, oh my gosh, that older man or older woman was grooming me. Hmm. And that can be really terrifying. Right. And for many people, like we've talked with this in, in a ministry that we're doing and we're involved in, and a lot of people don't understand that they were sexually abused at some point and they don't understand the trauma it's had on them. So what do people like that need to kind of do to understand what they've been through so that they can move forward? Like, what, what does that look like for them? Well, I guess the bottom line would be educate yourself, right? Because right. Um, it's really important to understand the grooming process, for example. Mm -hmm. A lot of boys and men are confused about what happened to them because, you know, I think over 90% of sexual assaults are perpetrated by someone that the victim knows and possibly loves, cares right. for, right? Mm -hmm. So perpetrators will specifically infiltrate their lives. They will win the trust of the victim. They will win the trust of the parent, and then they will abuse them. But oftentimes the abuse doesn't happen for months, maybe even years later. Mm -hmm. So during that time prior to the abuse, they develop feelings for them. And this is a big reason why boys and men are often confused about whether or not their abuse was actually abuse. So I say educate yourself because you need to understand that that friendship, that that relationship was actually a very premeditated act oftentimes on the on the part of the perpetrator. So learn the definition of sexual abuse. Come to understand why children are not old enough to consent. Right. Self-compassion is huge too, right? Mm -hmm. Boys and men are often very critical of themselves for not having known better. So one of the things that I often tell my clients is don't judge yourself as if you knew then what you know now. Hmm. Right. right. And some people now might be wondering, I'm hearing you speak, and obviously you've got some wisdom and, and expertise, but you, you are a female, and you're an expert. You've written a book called Men to The Unspoken Truths on Male Sexual Abuse. And I love the title because it's uh, after the movement Me Too, where women are talking about their sexual abuse, but you just realize there's, there's men that are abused too, and they're kind of kept quiet. But how did you get into that? Can you share a little bit about your past? Sure. Yeah, I was a RCMP officer for 13 and a half years, and I worked for four years in a unit called the Integrated Child Exploitation Unit. So our mandate was to investigate crimes committed against children internationally. So when the new sex tourism legislation came in in 2002, our unit was established to respond to that. So during that process, I was sort of tasked with, you know, learning what needed to be parts of the investigation and then training the other police agencies and police departments, you know, so supplying them with sort of warrant templates and stuff like that. So doing a lot of research, doing a lot of training, also unfortunately observing a lot of seized material. We investigated the RCMP's first sex tourism charge out of Colombia, the Philippines and Cambodia. Mm. And so, you know, I literally was watching months and months worth of videos and got to see that boys are victims too and wow. the real motivator for me was hearing Sheldon Kennedy speak um, right. he came and spoke at one of my training conferences and he talked about why he didn't talk about this and it was like the lights just started to go on for me I started to see this is way bigger than we are aware of you know I think our prisons for example are filled with boys who grew up to be men who never had support who never made it through school because they were struggling with trauma who 
you know, succumb to addiction because they were struggling with traumas that they didn't feel like they could talk about. I mean, Sheldon Kennedy, pro hockey player, his abuser was his coach mm -hmm. and his opportunity to become a pro hockey player rested in the hands of his abusers. So mm -hmm. he had to weigh all that out. Do I want to give up this potential of a becoming a pro hockey player to report my abuser? And of course, there was also the financial piece. I mean, his career was lifting his family out of poverty. You know, he also said he felt like other people knew, other parents knew and should have done something and did nothing. So he had this sort of hopelessness. And, you know, hearing his disclosure just broke my heart. And he also talked about living this double life. And at the time I was also being bullied and stuff. And, you know, here I am in the sort of top of my game and being bullied as well. So it was like I related to that very little piece. And then yeah, fast forward a few years when I lost my career to PTSD from the bullying and stuff, I needed something to be passionate about. And I just, you know, was reminded of what Sheldon Kennedy had said. And yeah, so just decided to make this sort of my area of focus. Hmm. Well, your work is so important. And there's a lot of adults that have gone through this. And maybe like Sheldon Kennedy, they, they haven't spoken up about it for years. And they've, yeah. they've harbored this pain. You talked a little about educating ourselves, if mm -hmm. that's you and if you're listening. What would be another step, though, after they start to educate them? What, what's the next kind of on the healing journey that people should think through and engage in to start to move towards some healing? I think it's really important, Brian, to get professional help. Mm -hmm. Like, you need someone that can, can help you to kind of process your experiences to help you safely access those memories or the um, traumatic experiences that you've had to help you make sense of them, to mm -hmm. help you combat the lies that you might be telling yourself, to give you education about trauma and the trauma response, and to help you to learn to manage your own physiological responses, for example. So I think it's really important to get professional help. Somebody who is trained in trauma and someone who's trained in dealing with sexual abuse. Right. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's a complex subject. We're complex beings. And a lot of people just, it becomes their normal, right? And I think even if there's trauma or there's no trauma, whatever we grow up with, that becomes our normal. And if we never deal with it, our normal might be unhealthy. And mm -hmm. we want people to prosper. And Jesus came for you to live life and, and have abundant life. And so mm -hmm. I think it's, I agree, it's really, really important for people to get help and just to realize that, man, I could live a better life than I live now. And what is it in my life that is there that might not need to be there and so when there is abuse and when there is trauma a lot of people though they find that they don't want to dig into it right they don't want to talk about it so somebody that's in that place where they don't want to feel the pain maybe it's too painful what are the long-term effects of not talking about it that you've seen unfortunately we can't just stuff the bad emotions if we stuff the bad emotions we lose our ability to feel the good ones too wow. so that's one of the big reasons to seek help right so i mean there's so many long-term consequences that that's what you asked right yeah, yeah. um dysregulation physiologically cognitively emotionally so physiologically you could be triggered anytime any of your five senses might remind you of something to do with your abuse um, it can be subconscious you're not even fully aware of why you're being triggered so all of a sudden you're getting the butterflies or you feel like you're getting the runs you're getting extremely anxious and you mm. don't even know why mm -hmm. very dysregulating and then of course you start telling yourself what's wrong with me yeah why can't i hold it together what why did i do that yeah you know so you yeah. get diagnosed with depression or anxiety or adhd and really the whole time it's yeah. that there's undealt with trauma that you just need absolutely. to get help with yeah absolutely mm. right and you should, emotionally you can just choose to shut down 
Right. And like kind of unpacking this more, like what have you seen? What are some of those really prevalent and key lies that people sometimes tell themselves to maybe protect themselves or stop themselves from having to maybe open up about what they went through? Like what are, what are some of those things that people tell themselves to kind of keep themselves stuck? Well, boys and men often rewrite their own abuse stories, right? Mm. So they often rewrite them to say, oh, you know what? I enjoyed that. Or it yeah. was consensual mm. or, right. you know, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. So Because the reality is when you get off, so to speak, you, when your boy ejaculates, it does feel good. There's pleasure there, right? Absolutely. But the situation might be so traumatizing and so that creates confusion. Absolutely. And there's different types of erections, right? Boys and men can get erections when they're traumatized. And mm. also, I mean, God designed the human body to respond to physiological touch. Yeah, right. So the fact that you're being stimulated physically, there's nerve endings in the penis and the vagina, right? So when they're touched, they respond the way God designed them to respond. Yet in your brain, you could be going, I don't want to be doing this. What the heck? Like you're my cousin right. or you're my sister or you're my father, yeah. right? So there, yeah, that's a lie that the mm. lie, one of the lies is that I was a willing participant. Right. Um, my body betrayed me. That's another lie. Right. I can't talk about this. Mm. I'm the only one that this ever happened to. I have to keep this secret. Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm a disgusting person, you know, like all kinds of lies. Right. So if you're believing those lies, uh, listening to this, you just, I hope that you can find hope and realize that that doesn't have to be your reality till the day you die, that there can be healing and to get help and to read Kelly's book and to get professional help is going to be a really, really important key. Do you think that somebody can get totally healed when there's been sexual abuse in their life? Lisa Bevere is one of my favorite speakers. And Mm -hmm. she says, when you're forced to face your worst fears, you become fearless. Wow. And, you know, I mean, Christ can heal. Christ can restore us. Christ can, you know, make us better than we were before, right? I like to tell my clients the metaphor of the Japanese pottery, you know? The Japanese, if they if a pot gets broken, they'll often, like a ceramic pot gets broken, they'll often mend it with gold and it's more beautiful mm. and more valuable than it ever was before. And I think the same is true for us. Yeah, amazing. I think that's such a beautiful picture. And we love talking about the whole aspect. What does it look like for someone who is starting to realize I can have healing? Something can be made beautiful out of this terrible thing. Mm-hmm. What are some things that you've seen as people start to come alive in that? Um, I'm sure that just gets you pumped up when you start to see that. But what's that kind of vision for hope that you see as you've dealt with people and journeying with them in this? Well, you know, one thing that men often say is that they, like, for example, when I did my data collection, mm-hmm. all of the men were so keen to participate because they said, if I can help anyone Like that gives me such pleasure to be able to help another boy or man in his Mm. process, in his journey. So, yeah. And I mean, sexual freedom, right? Like, you know, just because this happened with a boy when you're young doesn't mean you're gay. Right. You know, you don't have to fear going to bed, like that kind of thing. We can process those traumas and sort of have victory over over the abuse, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just men that have been shut down emotionally, physically, cognitively, sexually can become free again, Mm. right? Yeah, it's incredible. And I know that you say one in six guys suffer from sexual abuse. That's what research shows. There's lots of different research out there, but on average, it says about 18% of boys are sexually abused to some extent, whether it's like, you know, oftentimes what it is, is, you know, an older cousin and an older brother or an older friend teaching a young boy how to masturbate. Mm -hmm. That's still sexual abuse, right? Right. It's exposure. It's, it's, they're not old enough. They're not mature enough to know what they're consenting to. 
Yeah, absolutely. And there's been a lot of a lot of stories and people that I've chatted with in our ministry just with pornography where mm-hmm. they open up about their past and there's been mm-hmm. gay experiences or there's been experiences where mm-hmm. they're just, you know, uh, experimenting with a friend or mm-hmm. they're getting shown the ropes like you're like you're saying by an older friend or sibling mm-hmm. or cousin and mm-hmm. and they get fondled or they get masturbated by somebody else. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a traumatic experience mm-hmm. that people can't let go of mm-hmm. um, without help and without the Lord really working in their life. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a tie-in that we've seen a lot for, with sexual abuse to addiction. Now, can you just share the relation between the abuse and the addiction? I know you, that you said off or before the podcast that they're kind of like two ugly cousins. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. And it it comes down to some of the things that we've already talked about, right? I mean, abuse when it happens really, really young, like for example, before a child or an infant has learned to self-regulate is particularly damaging. So how that comes into play later is that people will learn to use alcohol to calm themselves physiologically, emotionally. In a nutshell, basically, you know, if, if someone is sexually abused at a young age, it can disrupt their physiological development. So they don't develop those skills to self-regulate. Uh, healthy children that grow up in healthy environments are taught to self-regulate by their parents. They can regress on that development if sexual abuse occurs, right? So they can forget how to soothe themselves, right? Of course, we all want to be able to be calm, right? Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, sometimes when people are not calm, they will turn to substance to calm themselves. It's often common that a perpetrator will introduce a victim to alcohol as a means to lower their inhibition, Mm -hmm. right? So again, coming back to that idea that the grooming process, you're old enough to be doing this. I think you're old enough to be doing this. Have a beer, right? And the kid's like 12 or 14 or whatever, and their parents aren't allowing them to have alcohol. So, you know, they kind of get that, oh, I'm special feeling and agree to it. Mm-hmm. And perpetrators will often, um, sorry, I'm going on a segment here, but they'll often use that as sort of their test of secrecy too, right? Like, so I'd rather be found out for giving you a beer than for touching you. So if mm-hmm. I give you a beer and you don't tell your parents, and then I give you another beer, I know that you haven't told your parents, I haven't gotten in trouble. So now we're bound with this secret. And then the progression in towards the sexual abuse will happen. But yeah, so, you know, I had one of my participants in my research, I talk about it in my book, his perpetrator introduced him to alcohol at age 13. And he said he drank every day after that. Wow. And part of it was, you know, again, this idea that maybe he wasn't comfortable with what he was doing with these men. He, he had just lost his father, this, you know, yeah. teacher decides, teacher offers to mentor him and then start sexually abusing him within a year. Mm. And then um, introduces his friend who happens to be a priest, unfortunately. And they both abused him for five years, right? Wow. I mean, this boy is grieving. He just lost his father. He wants male male role of models. That's very so, common, hey? Oh, terribly. I mean, this is what they do. They watch for somebody who's vulnerable and they find a way to infiltrate that. And again, it doesn't happen right away. It happens over time after the relationship is established. So that's, again, why boys and men are often so confused. So to tie it back into your question, right? And then that confusion, that sort of shame, it's like, well, you know, alcohol can help numb that feeling, right? So they'll wind up turning to alcohol and then becoming dependent on it or turning to the substances and becoming dependent on it Mm. so that they don't feel those feelings, right? Right. Oftentimes, I think I mentioned earlier, oftentimes the full effect of it comes later when they realize the meaning behind what took place, right? Then that that shame, that that lie that comes in and says, wow, I should have known better. I should have stopped this. It's my fault. Why did I do this? Like, and, and, you know, the shame, like, I can't tell anybody about this. So what are we going to do? We're going to numb out with alcohol. 
What do you mean the meaning that took place? When people realize the meaning, it changes their perception of it? Yeah, when they realize that what took place was actually sexual activity, mm-hmm. right? Or that right. they were, you know, offended against by someone who was a male. That this is actually a homosexual activity, right? right. Mm-hmm. By definition, you know, two males, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas they might be heterosexual by orientation, and then they think, wow, what does this mean about me kind of thing, right? So... Why did my body respond that way? Mm-hmm. Okay, so just shifting gears here, because that's such great stuff to talk about. But for for some that are maybe parents, this is their worst nightmare mm-hmm. to think that maybe their their little boy or little girl is going through something like this. What are some things that parents can do or maybe some signs that they can see maybe that something is happening here? And what should they be looking for their kids? Well, unfortunately, there's no for sure signs, right? But um, I think it, I mean, the response depends on the age of the child for one thing, Mm -hmm. right? Small, small children don't have the language to be able to express what's happened because they don't know what's happened. So they might say things like, I don't like the games we play at daycare, Mm -hmm. or I don't like Uncle Bob, or please don't leave me alone, please don't go to work. And I know that those are common things that kids will say, but, you know, if it's persistent and, and it's just worth asking, taking that extra minute and say, well, why, honey, right? I mean, I mean, a healthy child's going to say, because I miss you or whatever, right? But, a, but a, a, if the child says, I don't want you to go to work because, and then you ask why, and they say, because daddy makes me play games or something like that, okay, you need to dig in a bit more. If children decompensate, so that means like if they're progressing developmentally and then all of a sudden they go backwards, hmm. that's often a sign. Children with extremely low self-esteem, children isolating themselves, Lots of times in extreme situations of abuse, obviously it it affects the child physiologically and cognitively and emotionally. So oftentimes it's going to be the odd kid, right? He doesn't know how to behave around other kids, right? Sometimes children who are extremely traumatized will develop a mental disorder called dissociative identity disorder. So that's where they actually develop different personalities to, to manage this trauma. That makes them oftentimes be the odd kid. So children that are that are bullies, you know, children that are picking on other kids, they got anger that they want to get out. Conversely, children that are being bullied, right? So mm. if they're being victimized in one area, their self-esteem is low, they don't know how to stand up for themselves. Sometimes they're they're often re-victimized. Children that are experimenting sexually with other kids. Little children, again, some things like I got an upset tummy or my bum hurts or they're having bathroom issues. They regress potty training, mm. Um, mm. difficulty sitting down, difficulty falling asleep right. or, or conversely falling asleep in class. Right. Children mm. who are sexually abused at home are afraid to fall asleep or they mm. won't want to fall asleep because of the nightmares. Mm. So oftentimes I'll be falling asleep in class. You know, children that are bruised, children that are unkept, uncared for. Oftentimes there's more going on. And I mean, I think, I think it's also really important to watch for grooming, right? Mm. Um, parents, I really encourage them to trust their own gut instincts, right? If you get this sort of queasy heebie-jeebie feeling, listen to that, investigate. And I mean, it's not meant to say you can't trust your kids to go to camp or you can't put your kids in sports, but you know, after a child, for example, has been away on some of those outings, check in with them. Make sure, you know, one of the boys in my book said he went off to basketball camp. He was 15. Hmm. Went off to basketball hmm. camp. He got abused by the coach who was a family friend. And then he started having, you know, in older teens, you want to watch for significant behavioral changes. Just be careful not to attribute behavioral changes to like coming of age or puberty right. or whatever. I'm talking extreme changes, you know. He went from being very close to his mother to like, 
like completely shutting her out because mm. he had this secret he wanted to keep. He didn't feel like his parents could handle the information, so he stopped being close to his mom. His parents would have been very disappointed to find out that he was abused by a very close friend of the family. Mm. So he disengaged from that relationship with his parents. He went from being an athlete with a girlfriend to being a recluse, mm. right? He started wearing baggy clothes. So... That would be an example of, you know, subtle, but yet extreme changes. Um, Another one of my participants said that, you know, he's a good church-going boy, and then all of a sudden he got really interested in drugs and sex and hanging out with a totally different crowd. Like, that's an extreme change in behavior. So, yeah, those kinds of things, sudden interest in dark poetry and dark music, that kind of stuff, because of the anger, right? I would assume that a lot of parents would say, like, oh, they're growing, they're just going through a phase, this is just another phase they're going through, maybe miss the sign, Mm -hmm. but I guess as parents, what you're saying, is is very important to just be aware and be present and when you when you talk about the feeling in your gut or the lord has given you discernment mm-hmm. to act on that and yeah. be like what is what is going on and just be present and have conversations with the kids and so then when a parent would find out okay there is abuse going on with my child then what can the parent do to create a culture of openness or mm-hmm. comfort for the child? Because I know some people that have shared with me, they've just said that their parents didn't understand or they couldn't bring themselves to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And so that communicated to the to the abused that they should just, you know, shut their mouth and be quiet mm-hmm. and not talk about it ever again. And so what can a parent do to make it a comfortable atmosphere for their child after they find out there's been abuse? Well, you know, not just based on what you described, they have to get over their own discomfort, right? They have to put their own awkwardness aside and be there for their child, right? So they have to let the child know that it's okay to talk about it, reassure them that they're not in trouble, ask them, you know, if they want to talk to you about that. And then I would say find them professional help, right? Yeah, I would say, let them know that they can talk about it. Let them know that you're willing to talk about it. Let them know that you're going to go to extra measures to keep them safe, that they don't have to be around that person anymore. Yeah, reassure them again that you know, that they haven't done anything wrong. So some really great points for parents there. And I think that's, that's amazing. And shifting gears a little bit with this too, on a relational sense, we deal with couples often in a, in a marriage context where maybe one of them or both of them sometimes have, have dealt with abuse in their past and it affects their intimacy, affects their marriage. What would you tell kind of that married couple? Like what would be a step for them to help them move away from that into to some healing? Again, my, my answer would be, get professional help, right? Like get someone who's a trained sex therapist or at the very least a trained counselor or psychologist to help, right? Because it comes down to managing the physiological responses. It comes down to managing the lies you tell yourself, like physically working on those things. They'll they'll give you homework to work on. They'll give you exercises that can help you feel safe and to take things at a pace that will establish safety and trust and come to understand, for example, your different attachment styles, that kind of thing. I would say like one of the greatest gifts God ever gave me was dropping this book in my lap lap where I came to understand, oh, just because I feel insecure does not mean there's something wrong with me, right? Hmm. It means maybe I was traumatized or my little needs were not met when I was a child, right? And so like once I came to understand this, that does not, I feel insecure not because there's something wrong with me, but because I didn't have my needs met. 
And once you can come to understand that and, you know, understand physiologically what's happened with the sexual abuse, work out the trauma, that kind of stuff with a trained trauma therapist, I recommend EMDR. There's lots of great books out there if, if people aren't willing to get help, like The Sexual Healing Journey is a good book. Mm-hmm. But I do really do recommend getting, getting professional help. And I've seen it sometimes where a spouse hasn't communicated their abuse or at least the extent of the abuse to to their spouse. And so what happens is they start reacting or shutting down or not connecting, mm-hmm. um, maybe not pursuing their spouse. And the other spouse feels rejected or they get mad or they go, well, what's wrong with me? Or, you know, there just becomes tension in the home. But for those who, who are abused and you're keeping it silent, to confess that to your spouse is such a powerful thing because yeah. it creates compassion in, in your spouse and they see you as not just an angry person or somebody that they don't love or they don't understand or whatever, but they see you as, oh, this person has trauma and I love them and I want to help mm-hmm. them. And so often that confession can really shift a marriage um, pretty quickly and start you both on a journey to healing because the reality is if you're married and, and one of you has abuse, it's, it's both of you that has to go on that journey of healing. But when you can do it together, it's such a powerful thing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I, I would just say like in that instance, both parties might need help, right? Because right. you've got the, the person who's not the abuse victim might be feeling rejected. And then you've got the abuse, uh, abused person who's, you know, having thoughts of like, what's wrong with me? Like, you know, uh, for example, the images of their abuse could be popping up when they're trying to be intimate, right? Mm. So yeah, that's where a professional can help you to mitigate that <laughs> right that's a great point we are actually wanting to talk a little bit about your book too because we're excited for it i mean matt's picked it up i'm going to pick it up we're going to read it but tell us a little bit about your journey about why you wrote the book mm-hmm. what it's about and where people can get this book well you know it's that's a really complex question sure. actually but <laughs> i mean again like i mentioned earlier right i needed something to be passionate about mm-hmm. i needed to, i don't want to say feel important but i really wanted to contribute right and i just saw this niche that you know men boys and men need support mm-hmm. and i thought well you know, what a better advocate, you know, than a female psychologist, right? So, you know, I did my research and, you know, I researched why boys and men don't commonly disclose because I needed to understand more. And I learned a lot. And I just also came to realize that, you know, I was, I was considered the expert in this area. Like you called me an expert at the beginning, right? And there's so many things that I didn't know. So I thought if I didn't know it as a police officer, how many other police officers don't know that? How many other parents don't know this? Mm -hmm. And so there was that piece. There was also like, you know, just the feedback that I got at U of A. Uh, I mean, one of my profs said he couldn't put it down when he read my dissertation. He told me he stayed up all night reading it, that it was super interesting. So that was motivating. I thought, okay, people do want to hear this. Um, And, you know, obviously the awareness that people need to hear this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, to be truthful, I had kind of shelved it for a bit because I was pretty exhausted after I did my PhD. And makes sense. I, I know, Matt, you're probably aware of this, but, you know, I was sitting there one day, I was trying to plan, I was trying to coordinate flights to go down to the States to do some trauma training and my head started spinning and I was like, Lord, can't you just give me peace? I just need some peace to book these flights and hotels and time off. And I said, please just give me your peace. And I said, I said, don't you want me taking this course? And he said, no, I want you writing that book. So I was like, <laughs> alrighty then. The Lord has spoken. Yeah. And I just like, I, I thought, well, if I'm writing it, he's going to bless it. Right? right. So, and, and, you know, I mean, it just, it was conviction, I guess you could say too, right? Like, oh, why would I shelve this? Right. You know, mm. 
Amazing. Right. Amazing. Well, I've read the book and it's uh, extremely powerful and something that helps a lot of people is just realizing that they're not alone. And so if you uh, have this in your life or you know someone that does, to read this book and get a greater understanding of the effects of it, of how to heal, but also just hearing other stories is so powerful. And we want you to know that your abuse doesn't define you if you've had that in your past. There's so many lies that you can believe that you grew up with, that you live with. But the reality is Jesus died for you. He paid a price for you and he loves you so much and there's so much value in your life and he paid the highest price, not just a little price, but he paid the highest price for your life. And so he's with you. He's with you every moment. He's your comforter. And we just want to encourage you to pursue a relationship with him. Open your heart to healing. And we know that it's a hard journey. We know that you got to feel the pain to heal, but keep on praying, keep on seeking the Lord, get professional help. So Kelly, is there anything else on your heart just before we close? Um, You know, I would just like to say that, you know, you mentioned if you know anybody, pick up this book. But the reality is that research shows one out of every six boys is sexually abused to some extent prior to the age of 16. Mm. So we all know more than six boys. We all know someone who's been abused. We may not know that they were abused is the problem. So my book is a psychoeducational book. It's designed to create awareness, to start the conversations, and to get people thinking and being aware, you know, that boys and men are victims too. So to help people to understand where and when this happens and how they can make a difference. Amazing. And so even on social media, I mean, we got a lot of people on social media. We don't know who's all had this in their past. We may not have ourselves, but if you can just share the book, share the resources, share Kelly's website, I think that that'd be powerful and people might pick it up. They might not like your post or comment, but they'll see it um, and they'll be impacted by it. So that's something that you guys can do to make an impact and pick up men too at kellypalfy.ca, K-E-L-L-I-P-A-L-F-Y.ca or at Amazon or Chapters. Pick up the book. It's a great resource. And uh, thanks for chatting. Thanks for coming, Kelly. It's been great. My pleasure. Thank you so much for this opportunity. You bet. So chat soon, guys. Thanks for listening. If you would like to hear more, please visit purevictorypodcast.com to subscribe. This podcast was made possible by the generous donations of our subscribers. If you would like to help support the cause financially, once again, please visit purevictorypodcast.com.